has written. I find it fascinating to study how uh, similar they are. Jesus has the same setup in all of his letters to them. He starts by addressing the angel. Have you noticed that when we read it together? It's always the angel of the church of this and that. And then Jesus speaks of a certain one or two attributes about his character, who he is, something that is significant and relevant to that church. Then he goes on, in most cases, to the churches to, uh, to approve them. Anything that he sees that he's, uh, he's happy with and he approves. And then he goes to his accusation, the things that he's not happy with. He has the same order in all of the different um, letters. After he brings the accusation, he brings advice. And he tells them what to do about it. And after that, he gives them an assurance. He says, if you obey me, if you repent, if you listen to what I'm saying, this is the reward that you will receive. And Jesus encourages them with this reward because he said himself, for the joy beset before him, he endured the cross. And Jesus gives us all these rewards, these goals to look up to, to encourage us when the going is tough, that if we stick it through and that we're faithful and obedient, then we will receive the reward. And finally, he ends each and every one of the letters with the appeal to him who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So Jesus has the same structure. And although the letters are structured very similarly, the situations in the different churches are very different. And um, another way that I look, like to look at um, these letters is like a hamburger. Um, and get an overview of all of the different churches. Can you see my hamburger there? Uh, you have the first church, Ephesus, and the last ch church, La Laodicea, that we'll be looking at next week. Those two churches, there's something seriously wrong, okay? It's like if it's the traffic light, that's the red light. The number one and number seven on the red light, that's like the hamburger bun, okay? And then you go into the next part, Smyrna is in good condition and not being criticized. And the same with Philadelphia, which we're looking at today. They're also in good condition and not criticized. So that's like the inside, the lettuce pieces of your um, burger. And then you have the middle part, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis. They're all mixed up together. There's good and there's bad in there, okay? So I don't know, when, when we were allotting who was going to preach on the different churches, um, I didn't, I didn't pick this one because it was an easy one to do, but I know some of you have got the harder, the harder churches in Asia, you've got a hard one next week, um, because something was seriously wrong in that church. But having this overview kind of helps you in your mind to have an overview of all the churches and what was going on in this area. Now, if we look at these churches and we see what Jesus points out that he's not happy with in all the churches, then we find a picture of what an ideal church would look like, what Jesus is looking for everywhere in churches. And let me just bring those seven points. Again, you can't see very, I don't know if it's because the lights are too bright, but there's a lot of candles there in the middle. And these are the characteristics that Jesus is looking for in his church. Number one, he wants his church to be loving and we as a church, when we live for Christ, we should expect suffering. Number three, purity. He expects purity in his church. Number four, he expects us to be truthful. And number five, he wants us to be alive. 
Today, number six, he wants the church to be missional. And that's what we're looking at today. And the seventh one is on fire. If we have these qualities in increasing measure in our church and in our lives, there's a good chance that Jesus will be pleased with us. So today's church, Philadelphia, the title for this church is Small But Significant. Small but significant. As I mentioned before, this is one of the churches that were in pretty good condition. And actually, when we read this letter, Jesus has no complaint, no criticism for this church. He found nothing wrong with them. Philadelphia means brotherly love. And this um, town, this city was founded and built by a guy named Attilus. He loved his brother so much that he wanted to pay tribute to him. So he built a town at the gateway to the east where there are five separate main roads that converged in this place of Philadelphia. This is similar to some of the other, many of the other churches. They were a converging zone for people who were traveling from other ends of the earth and passing through this place. But Attilus built this city, Philadelphia, to honor his brother and make it a center where, guess what, he wanted to do there. He was a zealous religious man. And he loved his religious pagan uh, traditions and, and, and religion. And he wanted to spread his religion throughout the whole world. So he thought, what better place than to build a church right here where people come from the east, the west, the north, and the south. And let them come and worship in these temples and buy these idols and, 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 and take these uh, beliefs back to wherever they came from. And in that way, I will spread my pagan religion throughout the world. So it was built for a missionary purpose, for pagan religion, and was therefore nicknamed Little Athens. Because it had so many temples and so many altars to many foreign gods. The main export of this place, not surprising, was religion. People came there and bought idols, they bought incense, they bought all sorts of things in this place, and they took those things back with them. So the main export, number one, was religion, and the other one was wine. This place was, uh, this city was built in a place also where there was a non, there was volcanic um, activity. And because of volcanoes, you know, when the lava comes from volcanoes, I don't know how many of you have studied this in school, but that lava is actually very rich in minerals. And it's very good to grow grapes and make wine. So in that case, this place was a very good place for that. And those were the two main exports. The main god that they worshipped, his name was Dionysus. I wonder if you've ever heard of him before. But in Greek religion and mythology, Dionysus was the god of fertility and wine. So the way they worshipped this god Dionysus was to have lots of festivals where there'd be orgies and lots of immorality because they were celebrating fertility and so this city was rife with drunk people and immoral people. And right in the middle of this crazy town, there was a little church, a little small church who loved Jesus. 
Now, can you imagine? I mean, here we are. We live in Indola. We're not faced with nearly the same challenge as this little church was. But can you imagine living in a city like this? I doubt that these Christians were able to find jobs or wanted to have jobs in the souvenir shop selling um, idols. I'm sure they didn't want to work in the temples of the false gods because that would be denying their own faith. So in this main activity in the city of, of, of foreign um, of idol- idolatry, they were not able to get jobs in that area. Now, the other main export we talked about is wine. And because they served and worshipped the god Dionysus, all of their vineyards and all of the things going on there was also dedicated to this god. And there was a lot of rituals and rites that were involved in the whole procedure of making the wine. And so the Christians didn't have jobs there either. So what kind of jobs did these Christians have? And what could they do for a living to survive in a city like this? We'll find out soon. We read in the scripture that Jesus said about himself, he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. There's one thing amongst many that I find very fascinated about the book of Revelation And that is that in this book of 22 chapters with just over 500 verses, there is 400, approximately 400 references to the Old Testament found. There's no other book in the New Testament that has so much reference to the Old Testament. I find this so fascinating because, number one, Jesus is the one who's giving this revelation to John. It just shows you how much The Bible is part of Jesus. Jesus is the word. And as he speaks, he speaks all these things. And many of um, Christians say that, well, the old covenant, that's past, that's over. It's got nothing to do with us now. We live in the new covenant. But actually, Jesus was the fulfillment of the old covenant. Jesus was the fulfillment. And here we see that over all the years and the ages here on earth, As it's coming to an end here in the book of Revelation, it's like Jesus is drawing all of these threads together. Throughout history, he's drawing them together into one place, the book of Revelation, where the end, the culmination of an era and a time on earth is coming to pass. I find this to be very exciting. And um, in this particular um, scripture that we read about, him holding the keys of David. This is actually a reference to a prophetic word that was spoken over Jesus, about Jesus, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, and verse 22, where it says about Jesus, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. This is a reference to the authority of Jesus Christ. When Jesus speaks, nobody can stand against what he speaks. If he said, be opened, nobody will be able to close it. And he says, be closed. Nobody, not even the devil or the angels or the most powerful men on earth can open a door that God and Jesus has closed. In Revelation 1 and verse 18, 
where John has the revelation of Jesus in all his shining glory, Jesus speaks to him and says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus has this key ring. He's got this um, ring of keys. I'm sure there's more than three keys on his bunch of keys that he holds. One of the keys he has is the key to death. Nobody else has died and come back to life like Jesus has. But he has the key of death and he has the key of hell and Hades. And now we've also heard about this key of authority, the key of David that he has. The power to open and close doors and that nobody else can stand in his way. Here in this same chapter 3 and verse 8, as we read the letter to Philadelphia, he says to them, I know your deeds. We've heard this few words spoken over a number of the churches. Jesus says to them, I know your deeds. I find this so comforting because even now, where we are right now, Jesus has got thousands and thousands and thousands of churches, and yet he knows Open Church personally. He knows us by name. He knows our deeds. He knows your deeds. He knows your life intimately. There's nothing that escapes his attention. And here to this church in Philadelphia, he says to them, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no man can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. So there were travelers coming to this city from many different directions, passing through this place. And I think one of the things that this church could do was open guest houses, lodges, hotels, and allow these people to lodge. And this was a perfect way to be able to share the gospel and send people with the truth. The Bible says that whatever the devil meant for harm, God can turn for his good. So Attilus built this city to perpetrate his religious beliefs to the whole world. And yet God places a small church right in that same place. And they might be small, but they were very significant because what they were doing is they were standing for the truth and they were spreading the truth. They were being missional. They were sending the gospel out as they preached the truth to people who passed through that city and went to where they came from. There's a um, lady by the name of Gladys Alward. She lived in the early 1900s and she did something very similar to this, this uh, lady here. Um, she went as a missionary to communist China, and she worked in a, um, she built a hotel where she worked together with another missionary, and they called it the Inn of Six Happiness. Anybody watch that movie, The Inn of Six Happiness? If you haven't seen it, it's a true story about her life and what she did, and it's quite an incredible story. And she used to do the same thing. They had this hotel, and when travelers would pass through the town, it's a communist country. They're not allowed to share any other beliefs, but they would tell bedtime stories to people. And two things that they promised at this hotel that nobody else offered was beds that were free of fleas, and number two, good bedtime stories. And in these stories, they told them about Jesus. And people came back time and time again to hear more from this simple, small lady 
but significant because her life had great an impact while she was there. So Jesus has keys in his hand, keys that unlock death and hell, the key of David, but he has more keys than that on his bunch. And one of the keys I want to mention briefly here is the door of salvation. Jesus has the keys to the door of salvation into the kingdom of heaven. You can never enter heaven by good deeds. No matter how hard you try, no matter how well you live your life, no matter how hard you pray, there's only one way to get into heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. For he has the key, and he is the door. No matter how small and insignificant you may feel, Jesus has opened that door for you and for me just as he did for the people of Philadelphia. In John 10 and verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and that is through Jesus Christ, who is the door. In the book of Acts, chapter 14 and verse 27, we read, When they arrived, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So there's lots of doors, guys. Not just physical doors that you can see with your eyes. We can see a number of doors in here with our physical eyes today. But there's a lot of spiritual doors as well that we can't see with our physical eyes. But God wants us to open our eyes. He said to the Philadelphian church, he said, see, I place before you an open door. God wants to open our eyes to see the doors that he places before us. Here, Paul was talking of a door of faith to the Gentiles which is the door of salvation that God was opening to the Gentiles. Another door that Jesus has the keys for is the door of service. The door of service. And this is the one that we were talking about before, that he'd given to the Philadelphian church to be missional, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and send it out to the corners of the earth through their faithfulness in sharing Jesus to the people who passed through their city. Jesus said when he opens a door, no one can shut it. And once he shuts a door, no one can open it. So this means that the call that they had to do what they were doing, no matter what the opposition, no matter what came against them, if they stood strong, they would overcome because God had opened that door for them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. The Lord had opened a door. This is the kind of door that opens that no man can shut. And this was a door of ministry, a door of service that God opened for Paul. In Colossians 4.3, Paul says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, 
so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So he's saying this is something we can pray for, for God to open doors for the message to be heard and proclaimed. Are our eyes open? Can we see the spiritual doors around us that God is closing and God is opening? He said, see, I have placed before you an open door. Can we see those doors? We need to ask ourselves, what door is God opening just now for open church? Just now for me. What doors is God opening? Many times we focus our attention on the doors that are shutting. And we lament and we are so sad about it. We've been knocking on this door and the door won't open. And we're banging on it and it won't open. And maybe God is saying, told you. And what we don't realize is that there's many other doors and God wants us to knock on another door because when he opens a door, no one can shut it. But what happens is many times we focus only on the doors that are shut. And if we've knocked on a door and the door hasn't opened, what do we do? Immediately we start saying, God has abandoned me. God doesn't care. He doesn't love me because he's not answering my prayer and he's not opening the door. But do you know that the word of God says that many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's only God's that prevail? Because a way may seem right to you, but in the end, it leads to death and destruction. God knows what's behind that door that you're asking him to open. And sometimes he says, no, I'm not opening that one because I know where it'll lead you. But there's another door I'm keeping open for you, and no man will shut it. And I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you're saying, I just don't know what to do. Every door I knock on, it just, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. Ask God to open your eyes, to see the door that he's opened for you. Because when God opens a door, no man can shut it. There's something we need to realize about doors. And that is that open doors come with opposition. And many times we don't realize this. So when the opposition comes, we're like, oh, maybe this wasn't of God. It was exactly of him. But we just need to realize that open doors come with opposition. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says, because a great door for effective work has opened for me. And there are many who oppose me. Are we out of power? No. Someone switched the lights off. Okay. Thank you. Because, once again, Paul says, a great door for effective work has opened up for me. Do you know God opens a great door, great doors for us, even as open church for effective service for him? And the very next statement that Paul comes with, he, he says, and there are many who oppose me. So just don't think that because there's an open door, there'll be no opposition. Opposition will be there. But if God has opened the door, nobody can shut it. Regardless of how much opposition there is, you will be victorious. You will make it through. And he, it was the same for the church in Philadelphia. Do you know they were also being persecuted? And it's the same persecutors that we've met in a few of the other churches. Because he says here in verse 9 to them, 
I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So here, once again, we see a church that is being um, attacked and persecuted, not by non-believers, but by religious people. And the Jewish people were harassing them and causing them trouble. And in this situation, God says, I've opened the door for you. Go through it. And yes, you have this opposition. You have this hardship. But I will bring them to their knees, and they will acknowledge the truth. You know what happens is that we just give up too quickly. As soon as the opposition hits us, we give up and think, oh, that's not the right door. And then we go and look for another door. Instead of realizing that when God has opened a door, no one can shut it. I want to tell you a little bit more about this lady, Gladys Alwood. Because she had a lot of opposition to the call of God on her life. She was a young teenage girl. She came from a poor family in um, England in the early 1900s, as I mentioned. But as a teenager, she read a story about the Chinese people. And at that time, her heart got filled with compassion for the people in this uh, nation. And she said, one day I'm going to go there and serve God and be a missionary. So she went to missionary training school. And she failed. The director told her that she wasn't smart enough to learn Chinese and they wouldn't accept her as a missionary. But Gladys didn't give up. She was determined. And so she got a job as a maid. That was the only thing she knew how to do. And she worked as a maid and put her money aside and said, if nobody's going to send me as a missionary, I'm going to find my own way there because God has called me. And so at the age of 30, she had collected enough money together and she bought her ticket with the train and went across all the way to China. When she arrived in China, she had a 30-mile walk in the snow through the forest where she had to go. And after that, a two-day mule ride, donkey ride, until she arrived at the place that she was going to. The place she was heading for was she'd heard about this missionary lady who was 73 years old and who was running a mission work, and she wanted to go and work with her. Now imagine going to a foreign country. You don't have cell phones. You can't call your mom, okay? <laughs> she's a young girl all on her own, but she's gone to serve God in a foreign country. And she had to learn the Chinese language, even when she was told that she couldn't. She went and worked in this place, this small woman with a very significant life. During her time there, she shared the gospel with many hundreds of people. And the Japanese war happened during that time. Her village was bombed. And she saved more than 100 orphans from death. She took them over a long trek of land to safety in that wartime. This little lady that nobody believed in. And what I'm challenging you to do today is to realize when God has opened a door for you, don't give up as soon as you hit a challenge. As soon as you hit hard times, you say, oh, well, I guess this isn't for me. And then you turn your back and you walk away and you miss out on your destiny because God's call upon your life. The open door is there. Don't see opposition as your enemy. It's your chance to overcome. God wants you to overcome and keep moving forward just like this church in Philadelphia.
Number four, open doors come when you stay faithful. Jesus said to them, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. When Jesus sees your faithfulness, your commitment, day in and day out, to love him, to serve him, to live for you, for, for him, God will open doors for you. And I'll find many times in my own life that when I'm just serving God faithfully where he's placed me, he suddenly opens unexpected doors that you don't know about and you don't ever even expect. Many of you, I don't know if you know, but before we, before Open Church, I used to do social work for many years. Um, I was working with HIV programs and orphan care. And at one point, I was doing this for more than 15 years ago. So at one point in this uh, season of my life, I was in Denmark and um, I was asked by this non-Christian radio program if I would come and share my story. So I did, and I was on the radio and told about the work in Zambia amongst HIV patients and orphans. Little did I know that that program was aired the following morning during breakfast time, and there was a wealthy heathen um, owner of a big corporate company in Copenhagen who didn't love God, didn't know God, didn't care about God, but he heard me sharing. And something moved his heart. When he got to work, he told his secretary, please phone the radio and find out who that young lady was who was sharing on the radio. I want to meet her. Get her to come to my office. So they got in touch with me and told me, our boss wants to see you. And the company was called Rockwall. It was a big um, business concern in Denmark, um, a multi-million dollar business in Copenhagen. So when I was leaving Denmark, I had a few days to go, and I was traveling by train from the one end of Denmark to Copenhagen where I'd be flying out. So I had two big suitcases, and they were filled and packed with all these things I was taking back to Zambia. So when I arrived with the train in the station where that was closest to the Rockwool business, it was in an industrial area. There were no taxis there. And it was like two or three kilometers from the train station to where I had to go. So I just put my big suitcases out in the bushes and put them there and said, God, please let your angels watch over all my earthly belongings there. And then I walked all the way to this office. And when I walked in in the car park, you see all these fancy big cars belonging to all these executives working there. And here I came sweating in and coming in and said, I've come to see the boss I was taken up to the top floor where he was and invited to lunch with the owner of this company. And during lunch, I just shared my story and told him about Jesus and how Jesus had called me to serve the poor and needy here in Zambia. And after our lunch, he gave me um, an envelope and he said, this is just a little pocket money just to um, take along on your way. It was, it was approximately 24,000, 25,000 kwacha that he gave me and said, just go and spend that on the project however you want to. And think about what you'd like us as a company here in Denmark to do so to support your work. And over the next number of years, thousands of dollars 
came from that company to support hundreds of poor and needy people here in Zambia. That was a door that God opened just because I was faithful doing whatever he called me to do. So God can open doors any time in our lives if we just remain faithful to the Lord. In his time, he will open the doors for us. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, is what he says to the church in Philadelphia, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. This church was enduring patiently. They were holding on. They were hanging on. And Jesus said, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Trial is coming. Hardship is coming. Difficulties are coming. That's part of the end of the world. (laughs) And there's no way that we're going to escape it or get around it. Jesus has told us about it. It's in the book of Revelation. And he's warning us about it to help us prepare for it. But how do we prepare for a storm? How do we prepare for a storm? If you think of a ship, do you know that a ship, when it's out at sea, they put down the anchors that anchor the, 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 the ship so that if the storm comes, the ship can stand firm. The right time to put out the anchor is not when the storm is raging. The right time to put the anchor down is when everything is when things are going well when the sea is calm that's when you sink the anchor so that when the storm comes you'll stand in the storm when is the right time for a tree to put its roots deep down to find water a a tree needs to put its roots down so that when the storm comes it'll be able to stand have you seen some of these trees that the roots are right running along the top of the ground. And in the rainy season, they fall over. And you just see these, these uh, roots that are just, you just realize that they're right running across the top of the ground, just right under the soil. And they've got no anchorage at all. As soon as the storm comes, they fall over. The trees that stand are those that sink their roots deep down, deep down. And what Jesus is encouraging us to do as well to be faithful in the good times it's right now be faithful we learned about the church last week where we were encouraged to put our relationship with Jesus first to stay connected to him to stay in the word to stay in prayer when we're faithful in these things that's how we put our roots down deep into Jesus and when the storm comes when the hard times come We don't fall over. We don't cave in. We don't give up. So um, there's a scripture that has been, that has um, over the years challenged me quite a lot. It's it's annoyed me actually, this scripture, um, because I've chewed on it a lot. It's from Proverbs 24 and verse 10. It says, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. (laughs) If you fail under pressure. Your strength is too small. In the NIV, it says, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? 
And the reason why this, um, this scripture annoys me a bit is because it's like, well, when do you expect me to fall? If not under pressure, I mean, that's the time when we cave, that's the time when we fall, is when we're under pressure, isn't it? So why judge me so harshly when I'm under pressure if I fall? Well, the reason is that strength is tested in adversity. That's where you test strength. Think of a bodybuilder. If you're a bodybuilder and you say, I'm very strong and I can lift 15 kg or 80 kg or 150 kg, well, it's only when you actually pick that weight up and you lift it, then we'll say, okay, you've proved your strength now. So talking doesn't work. It's actually when you prove it. It's only tested in adversity. So the challenge for us really friends, family, in this season, in this time that we're in. Let's not grow complacent. Let's not fall asleep and say times are good. There's so many open doors for us. Let's just enjoy life because we also heard from the church last week, Jesus said, I will come suddenly like a thief. If If you're not expecting him and you're not ready, guess what? The thief will steal. When the trouble comes, are you ready to stand strong when the test comes? And we need to remember once again, guys, the opposition is there for you to learn to overcome, to grow stronger, to grow your strength and your spiritual muscles in Jesus so that when the times come that are troublesome, we will not cave in. We will not break down and give up. But we will overcome because that's God's desire for each and every one of us here to overcome. So Jesus is saying, see, I've placed before you an open door. You know what is my prayer for us as a church? Sometimes the only time that we realize when a door is, is, is open is actually when it gets closed. And because we live in such a privileged time as we do right now, where we can meet as a church like this and we don't get persecuted for meeting, we have so many opportunities to share the gospel because there's no law against sharing the gospel. Those are open doors that God has placed in each one of our lives, wherever we are. He's placed us as salt and light wherever we are to use those open doors to bring God's, um, to bring the God's purposes to the world, to bring the light of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. But we don't see those doors. But one day when that door gets slammed in your face, do you know in Denmark, you can lose your job if if you're a doctor or a nurse and you tell a sick patient that Jesus loves you or can I pray for you, you lose your job. If you're a teacher and you tell a child about Jesus, you can lose your job. That doesn't happen here in Zambia yet. So those are open doors of opportunity for us. But many times we only see those doors once they close and then it's too late. Jesus is saying, open your eyes. See, I'm setting before you an open door that no man can shut. What doors is God setting before you today? You know, I have such a strong sense as I was preparing this message. I had such a strong sense on my heart about the destiny that God has for us as a church. We're not here by chance, guys. 
Open Church in Dola is here for such a time as this. And we need God to open our eyes to see what doors he's opening for us as a church. We need to seize the opportunities. And we need so that one day when we as a church stand before Jesus, he says, well done, Open Church in Dola. You did what I planted you there to do. May God help us not to fail the destiny that God has placed upon us as a church. May we as a church see those doors that God is opening. And may we go through them with great faith in our hearts, believing that God is going to accomplish what he's called us to do. And you know, that's for us as collectively. But what is the church if it's not you and me? God opens doors for you as individuals and as part of his family. What doors of destiny are you standing in front of that Jesus is saying to you today, I've opened it. Overcome the obstacle. Pass through the opposition. No one will shut it. I've opened it for you. May God help us to see.